You are listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We believe God is going to meet you right where you are today as you listen and dig into His Word. Storm of the Century. I wonder how many of you remember, I'm not talking about this century, but the previous century, the storm of the century. And I'm not talking about the 1999 Stephen King movie. I'm talking about the cyclonic storm that hit in early March of 1993. Now, I realize that some of you were not born at that point, quite a few of you. But it was a storm that brought cold weather, heavy rainfall, high winds, snow, and storm surges that left over 10 million homes without power. It dropped 36 inches of snow, get this, in Union County, Georgia, which would be around Blairsville. 13 inches of snow in the Arctic area of Birmingham, Alabama, and four inches of snow in that frozen tundra of the Florida Panhandle. One place in particular in Tennessee saw 56 inches of snow. And all of that took place in what was called the storm of the century. There are all kinds of storms, and interestingly enough, if you think about them enough, they can, they can be scary and they can be a little bit unsettling, and yet at the same time, although they're scary and damaging, they can also be beautiful and beneficial. Think about a thunderstorm, for instance, and sitting on a porch with a thunderstorm off in the distance can be extremely beautiful thing to watch, and yet at the same time, it could be very damaging. Storms also bring a little bit of help on the beneficial side, if you will. They bring water to dry summers. They bring cool air to the earth. They bring clean air. They, the lightning, doesn't it do something? It balances out the electricity and helps fertilize the soil. Or what about hurricanes if we take it up a notch? They're devastating. And I've seen firsthand the devastation of hurricanes, probably as many of you have living in the South. I remember going and helping with the cleanup after Hurricane Katrina. They're devastating and destructive, and yet at the same time, there are benefits to a hurricane. They can help the ecological and the subtropical environments. They bring massive rainfalls, which gives a boost to the wetlands. They flush out the lagoons. They remove waste and weeds. The hurricane winds and waves move sediments from the bays into the marsh areas, which revitalizes the nutrient supplies. Storms, they're going to happen in this life. And your level of security in the middle of the storm is related to the structure you are in or even who is with you in the storm when it hits. You know, as a kid, right, and storms would happen, you wanted to be around somebody that made you feel safe and secure, like your parents or when my kids were younger, right, and even still to this day, not, not my older kids, but my younger kids, right, will, will like to be around mom and dad when storms hit as if we can do anything to stop the storm. 
right? And it doesn't matter to a child. It doesn't matter to a child that they're with you and you make them feel safe and you're just as terrified as they are. They feel safe because of who they're with. So let's read from our text this morning where the disciples encountered a frightening storm themselves. One that was destructive and could have been destructive to their life and yet at the same time was beneficial. So if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to the book of John. That's where we are in this series on miracles. That's the name of the series, Miracles, Let Him Be Known. And as we've said week after week, the book of John, in his writing, his purpose was one thing. He wanted Jesus to be known as not just the Messiah, but the Son of God. This is who Jesus is, and this is John's intent with every story and every revelation of every miracle that he writes about, that Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God. It is who he said he was going to be. It is the word fulfilled that we just sang about, and we see it in his miracles. So let's read John 6, verse 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Lord, we ask that you would take your word today, that you would make it come alive, Holy Spirit, that you would change us from the inside out, that we would not be those that just read about the miracles, Lord, but we would experience the miracles in our lives. In Jesus' name. Let me reiterate what I just said and say what you probably already know if you've lived any bit of life, storms are coming. Storms are going to come into your life, and your level of peace and security in those storms is directly related to whether or not the Lord over the storms is with you in the structure of your life. That's why Jesus told that parable, right? How you're going to build your house depends on how secure you are when the storm hits. But I'm telling you, you know this, but I'll reiterate, the storm or storms are coming. They will hit your life. So let's see the context of the passage this morning. Jesus had just fed 5,000 plus people on the hillside. We heard about that from Pastor Keevan last week, right? He fed all of those people. They're, They're excited. Jesus is doing these miracles. And he had 12 leftover baskets full, one for each disciple to remind them of who Jesus was It is. Problem was, is this made the people want to force Jesus to be the prophet that they were hoping that he was going to be and to save them from Roman rule. It was, it was causing them to want to, okay, well, we know you've got the power, so now we want you to do what we hope this power is here to do, which is to put us in our rightful place. Even the disciples were probably feeling this too, like they were excited. Matter of fact, it would be understandable that they would feel this way. Why did they leave everything to follow Jesus in the first place? Because they believed that he was going to make everything right. That he was going to rule and reign just then and now. 
They had expectations as to how following Jesus would benefit them. Like we said in previous weeks, maybe they were looking forward to the accolades, the prestige of being with Jesus as he ruled over all, and they were his close companions. But Jesus perceived the crowd's intentions. He perceived the disciples maybe understanding or lack thereof, and he sent the disciples back to Capernaum alone. He dispersed the crowd And then the Bible says that he withdrew by himself, which he often did. So now here are the disciples. That's the context. They've been sent off by Jesus. And it kind of probably feels a little bit weird. They're like, whoa, 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 what? Why are you sending us off? Like this was a this was a win for us. This was a big deal. You just fed 5,000 people. Let's leverage this momentum. And now you're sending us off alone? They're probably a little confused as the instructions. They're probably frustrated that he left them. And the disciples are now out in a boat in the middle of the sea. And it's dark. I don't know about you, but the only thing more unsettling about being in a little boat in the middle of the sea is being in a little boat in the middle of the sea in the dark. Like, that, that's got to be unsettling, even for, like, these some of them, not all of them, we always say these fishermen, not all of them were fishermen. I mean, I, like the tax collectors, like, what are we doing out here? Like, I don't go out into a boat, especially in the dark. And Peter's probably like, oh, this is not, not a big deal. Not a big deal. But here they are in the middle of a large body of water in the dark. Darkness is disconcerting, isn't it? I mean, that's why we don't like it. But it's even more disconcerting when the one who makes you feel safe isn't there. Just ask a child. Shoot, just ask yourself when it's dark and the one that makes you safe isn't there. And that's exactly what verse 17 says. If you look at that, it says that it was dark and Jesus hadn't met them yet. It was dark and Jesus wasn't there. Maybe you felt that way. Maybe you're feeling that way today. The darkness in your life and you feel like Jesus isn't there so what happens when Jesus seems to disappear in the darkness of your life what happens in the suffering of his seeming silence or better put what happens in the middle of the affliction of his absence do you ever notice that the more you love somebody the more you miss them when they're gone. I mean, this isn't rocket science. This is true. The more you love somebody, the more you miss them when they're gone. You miss somebody more when you really love them, and even more when they're gone after you've had a really great time together. And that's exactly right what just happened. The disciples and Jesus, they just had a really great time together on the hillside when he multiplied the fishes and loaves and he fed all these people. That was an exciting, memorable moment, I would assume. Man, that was great. We just had a great time with Jesus. And now he's gone. And when the person that you love is gone, you feel lost. That's why I'm so sad, like when... Carla and I have gone on a trip together, and then it's over. And then we have to, you know, we just had a great time together, and and now we're going to go back to our normal schedule where we don't see each other nearly as much. Or it's it's like like we feel like we're all together with the family for a long period of time, and then we all have to kind of go our separate ways. So here's the deal. Without Jesus, 
the disciples are lost. They are sheep without a shepherd. That's what they are. And guess what? It's the same with us. Without Jesus, we are lost. We are sheep without a shepherd. And watch this. The more we love him, the more we miss him when there's darkness in our lives. The greater the joy of our togetherness in these moments that are wonderful, in those times where we spent with God, then the more we feel his absence when it seems that he's gone. Therein lies a possible problem. If we have never had the sweetness and the beauty of that kind of fellowship with Jesus, what is there to miss? Or we think the good, intimate times are all that there are because somebody preached a gospel that wasn't true to us. Say, well, this is how it's going to be, and you're going to feel this way, and it's going to be amazing, and it's going to be wonderful, and then the darkness comes, and the storms kick in, and you're like, wait, nobody told me about this. And whether it's experiencing his presence in worship, whether it's experiencing the intimacy of his nearness in his word, or the powerful interaction of the conversation of prayer, the greater your love for Jesus, the more difficult the darkness of his seeming absence in your life is going to be man, wait, I've experienced that closeness, Lord, and it feels like right now you're so far away. Nobody likes being surrounded by darkness. Matter of fact, it's torturous. It's something that you would use to torture somebody. But it's even more frightening when we're surrounded by darkness and we're alone. Or in this particular case, we're in the dark like the disciples without Jesus. And you might feel that way today, that you're in the darkness of something and the silence of of the Savior is causing you to be a little bit frightened, as in the case of the disciples. It could be the darkness of depression. It could be the darkness of relational fractures. It could be the darkness of financial poverty. It could be the darkness of sickness or the darkness of the shadow of death even. That's why it's called the shadow of death. It's darkness. These are the dark nights of the soul and the dark nights of our lives that we will all face in this life. But to make matters worse, verse 18 says, and a strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. They had rowed about three or four miles. This is the proverbial, it couldn't get any worse, but it does. And I assure you, I know some of you, or probably all of us, have been in that situation as well. We're like, it just can't get any worse. And then it does. And this is what's going on. Here are the disciples in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And listen, I know, like, I'm going to talk about this a little bit more this morning. We have these ideas in our minds as we hear these stories, or we've heard them before, or we read these stories, and we kind of have in our mind's eye what it looks like. So that's why it's so important that we have some real context. They're in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, in the dark, without Jesus, in the middle of the night. And just like any of us in similar dark moments, they're probably confused, they're disappointed, maybe they're disillusioned, they're frustrated with Jesus, and to make matters worse, here comes a storm. And now they're in survival mode, rowing desperately to get to land. And we know this because in the account in Mark chapter 6, it tells us that they were still rowing in the fourth watch of the night, which is between 3 and 6 a.m. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be doing anything between 3 and 6 a.m. except sleeping. 
And so they've been rowing, it, it, it says, for at least nine hours, and they've only made it three or four miles. Simple math, that's less than half a mile an hour. That's frustrating. They're tired. They're hungry. They're weary. They're probably wondering, where in the world is Jesus? Why has he left us alone in the dark of the night? Why did he send us out here in the first place in the middle of this storm to fend for ourselves? This is not what we signed up for when we decided to follow him in the first place. We signed up for miraculous hillside lunches. We signed up for water being turned into wine. We signed up for people being healed that were lame. But we didn't sign up for going into the darkness alone and dying let me ask you something when storms come to your life does it matter if you work harder when storms come to your life does it help if you row just a little bit harder can you stop the storm if you put a little bit more effort into things the answer to that question is a rhetorical no but that's what we tell ourselves well, if I do this a little bit more, well, if I work just a little bit harder, well, if I strain just a little bit more, maybe I can get somewhere. And here's what happens. We strain and we struggle for hours and hours and we get absolutely nowhere when Jesus isn't with us. See, the disciples are struggling against the storm and it's getting rougher and they're becoming tired. And maybe the struggle in the storm of your life has you in a similar place where you feel like you've put all your strength and all of your effort into doing something and it hasn't changed. And you know what that does? It just makes you tired. It makes you weary. And they're tired and they're weary because it's one thing to be serving Jesus as a co-laborer in Christ. Then the work we do is a joy because that's what happens in the presence of Jesus. But here's what's going on. When his presence feels withdrawn and everything we do is out of sense of duty and obligation and perseverance, we grow weary in doing well. We get tired. And I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people and they've come to me and, and as a pastor and just like this is what's going on in my life or maybe I've received an email or whatever the case may be time and time again and there's this refrain that I'll often get to when difficulties are going on. I'm just tired. I've been rowing for hours and getting literally nowhere. Scripture also says that the waters were rough because of the wind. Again, it's just getting more and more difficult. The wind kicks in. There's probably lightning going on around. There is a storm of the century, if you will. 
and Jesus is absent. The darkness is getting darker. The disciples' strength is becoming more depleted. And the way that they're trying to go is getting rougher and rougher. And it seems like there's no way they'll ever get to their desired destination. You see, when the presence of Jesus is with us, we willingly take up our cross. We will gratefully lose our lives. We believe God is working all things together for our good, or at least that's what we'll say. And we receive the rough way as even a gracious gift of God to change us from the inside out. But if Jesus is absent, if Jesus feels far away, then even the easy ways are rough. Even the lightest burden that you carry will feel like it's going to crush you if Jesus is absent in your life. And all the new mercies of God that are supposed to be new every morning in all of his strength that is supposed to be made perfect in our weakness is invisible to us. Has Jesus ever seemingly left you alone to face a storm in your life? I mean, I know I felt that way. There's no, let's, let's go ahead and admit it. Problem is, we're like, oh no, I've always felt his presence. Well, great. And I mean, if you have, Great. But there are times where I have been like, where are you, God? I remember when I first became pastor of In Focus Church back in 2005. I had a five-year-old, a four-year-old, and a three-year-old. Carla and I had been married for, well, I don't know, what, eight years, I guess, nine, close. No? Eight. I was like, wait. I mean, I could have done that. I was trying not to do that. <laughs> five, four, and one year old. I'm sorry. Five, four, and one year old. Got it. She's communicating with me in a mask, and that's not no fun. So, five, four, and one year old. Yeah, that's why I forgot it. <laughs> um, just become pastor, thinking things are great. Always thought ministry was amazing. I've been the worship leader, and that was, I loved that. That was fun. And then a year later, half the church left. And it was like people I'd known my whole life, friends, people that had seen me grow up, you know, since I was 16 years old, and now I'm pastor. And, and it was like, wait a minute, you know me. Where, why, why are you mad? Why are you leaving? And not to get into all the reasons because I don't even know all the reasons but I just know that there were times when I was in tears as we went from one size church to another size church and it felt like I was going to lose everything and I was saying God why did you send me out here I was fine feeding 5,000 on the hillside. I was fine standing behind the keyboard leading worship. I liked that. That's what I went to school for. Why did I get into this position for this to happen? Why? Whatever your specific situation is, maybe you feel afraid. Maybe you don't understand what Jesus is doing. Or maybe you're disappointed that he didn't answer you the way that you asked him to answer you. You expected him to do something that he didn't do. 
And this has possibly led to anger and resentment. And as the storm goes on and it gets more rough, you feel weary and depleted and possibly even hopeless. And can I encourage you this morning, despite all of that, by letting you know it is not an unusual thing for those whom Jesus loves to be put in such a condition as the disciples and then countless other saints since. I remember one in particular man of God, if you will, that was older than me, knowing what I was going through early on in my ministry. And here's what he said to me at that time. It's because Jesus loves you that you're going through this. I was like, shut up. (laughs) Then he reminded me of stories like Joseph and Daniel and Moses, and David, and every other saint then and between then and now who went through things, as we read about in the Bible, who were precious in the sight of the Lord, but among them all, you will not find one who was not tried in a storm. So no matter how difficult the storm is, no matter how tired and weary you might be, can I also encourage you to keep looking for your help. To keep looking for the one who is still with you even though you feel like he's not. Because seemingly out of nowhere, I believe just like I have and just like many of you have, you will look up and just like the disciples did, you will see Jesus walking on the water towards you in the middle of your storm. Verse 19, when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. That's not what I actually expect to be reading there, just so you know. I was like, they saw Jesus walking on the water towards them, and they were overjoyed. Like, isn't that how you assume you would read that? I don't know about you, but a lot of times, you know, I'm I'm reading these things and I'm like, that's not how I would have written it. That's not how I would have felt like. But it is a glorious moment, right? When you look up and see Jesus walking towards you in the storm. And here's why this narrative is written this way. This is where Jesus reveals his glory. This is where Jesus reveals his glory to his disciples in the storm. We sang about it today already, that he was fulfilling the word. He was revealing his glory in the middle of this storm. See, they see Jesus walking towards them on the water, and you think they'd be thrilled, like I said, but the scripture says they were scared. And we're like, you know, what are they scared of? It's Jesus. But but listen, this hadn't happened before. This wasn't a normal thing. And all of you know that if you were dog-tired in the middle of the darkest night, wishing you were asleep, thinking you're about to die in the middle of the sea, and somebody starts walking towards you on the water, you'd be like Jordan Peele. Nope. <laughs> like, I'm out. I don't know what that is, but I don't know if we've been rowing hard, let's row harder. They're frightened. But then Jesus speaks. And oh, to hear the voice of our Savior speaking to us in the middle of the storm. And what did Jesus say? Verse 20, he said to them, it is I. Don't be afraid. It is I. It's the Greek there, ego, I, me, meaning 
I am. Translated, I am. Maybe alluding to Exodus 3.14, where God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And by seeing Jesus walk on water, they are seeing I am. He's saying I am. Why? What is John doing? He's trying to point to the fact that Jesus is not just a prophet. He's not just a king. He's not just the Messiah. He is the son of God. He is the I am. And they're hearing these words and they're seeing the Jesus walking toward them and they realize at that moment that this is the Messiah yes but he's also Israel's God he is the Holy One of Israel herein lies the beauty and the benefit of the destructive storm if Jesus had it left them to face the storm alone they would have never seen his glory revealed in the storm And just as Jesus revealed his glory to the disciples in the middle of the storm, often when we least expect it, he will reveal his glory to us in the middle of our storm if we are looking for our help. See, the problem is is we are very bad judges of our own spiritual experiences. We often undervalue what God esteems, and we often overvalue things that God does not value. Just as the disciples had too small a view of who Jesus was, like a guy that could just multiply fishes and loaves and then take over the Romans. They had too small of a view of who Jesus was and what he had come to do. There's a lot of times in my life, I know there's a lot of times in your life where we have too small of a view of what Jesus is doing in and through us and what he wants to do in and through our lives. We have too small of a view, even from a localized standpoint, knowing that God wants to do something larger in our lives for his glory and so we expect him to act and believe in a certain way ways we've been taught ways we've been raised and when he doesn't we're confused we're disappointed maybe we're even resentful and hopeless but Jesus never fails to show up in the middle of the storm of those who belong to him and when he does he reveals himself as the one who we could have never imagined him to be if we'd have stayed safely on the shore where we'd always been I love how Charles Spurgeon in a sermon on this passage said it. I love reading his messages. He said, so be of good cheer, for Jesus Christ will come to you even when it is all dark around you. And here is another word of cheer for you, namely that when he does come, it will be in a way that will give you a higher sense of his glory than you ever had before. You have seen him on the land, but you have never yet seen him on the water. Well, you could not see him walking on the water unless you were on the water yourself. And you could not see Jesus Christ calming the storm unless there was a storm to be quieted in the first place. And if the wind did not blow, you could not tell whether he could control it or not. Trial is absolutely necessary in order to reveal to us some of the attributes of our gracious God that we would have seen no other way. Yes, and when Jesus reveals himself to us in the storm, here's what we realize. We realize he never actually left us to begin with. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. In every angry gust, in every crashing wave of every storm, he was there. And I want you to know that there is nothing 
There's absolutely nothing or nowhere that you can be that Jesus cannot get to. God's children are never in a place where Jesus cannot get to you, even if it means walking on water to get to you. Because you know the disciples were thinking, because they did kind of know, as they're in the middle of that boat, there's nobody coming to save us. There is no National Guard. There is no Coast Guard. There's nobody out here roaming the seas to see if they could take us in. They knew that they were done. They knew that it was impossible for anybody to save them. No one but the Lord over the storm, the Holy One of God, could save them. And that's exactly who met them there. That's what they saw walking on the water in the storm. And I think that's one of the points for us today, that when we see Jesus in the storm, we will see him in a way that we've never seen him before because of what we've been through. And when it's, this is, I was thinking about this. When is something the most sweet? When you've just tasted something that's super bitter. When are you most satisfied when you eat something? When you're the most hungry, then things that actually don't even taste good taste good to you. And when is the light the most bright? In the middle of the darkest night. Probably why scripture says to us as the church, shine like bright stars in the world because they are the brightest in the darkness that's going to continue to get darker. And you can rail against that all you want to, but here's the thing. The darker the world gets, the brighter the glory of Christ shines. So I'm going to read the final verse today, and this is super exciting. Then they were willing. That translation just falls so short to me. Then they were willing to let Jesus in their boat. I bet they were like, get in here. Come on, Jesus. Like after all the frightening stuff, it's like, oh, yes, get in this boat. Because they'd seen some stuff before, right? He'd calmed the winds and the waves before. But they're like, get in the boat and do that thing you did before. They take him into the boat, it says, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Some translations say, better put. You know, if you look up the Greek, it's not just they were willing. They desired They wanted Jesus in the boat. They were glad to take him into the boat. They believe why? Because they believed. Now there's a new, there's a there's a greater understanding of who he is. They believed he's God. He has power over the winds and the waves. He's God. He's shown up. He's walking on the water. And so when he gets in the boat, many believe that they were immediately brought through the chaos of the storm and they're on land. Some interpret this as a second miracle while others argue that the boat just went immediately towards the shore. And it felt like no time had passed at all because the joyful disciples had Jesus with them. On their own, the disciples were striving against the obstacles of the storm, but when God, the Holy One, the sovereign Lord of creation, the Lord over the storm, got in their boat, they were brought through the chaos of the waves and safely to shore. Whether this was immediate or a process, doesn't really matter because Jesus was in their boat and there was an ease and a gladness in their journey. Why? Because Jesus' presence was with them. And I think, this is what I think, I think this is the main point. Not that Jesus will calm every storm in your life because the scripture doesn't actually say that he did calm this storm. 
but that he was with them. The reason I think the focus is on Jesus' presence, his personal presence with his disciples, is that John says nothing about the storm being stilled in this account. It's not the main point. What does he say? Verse 21, then they were glad, desired, wanted to take Jesus into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Because if you're like me, and I know this storm's been going on behind me, if you're like me, you picture Jesus getting in the boat, and this is, what you th- this is what you picture in your mind. Like, it just immediately changes. And it's like, oh, yeah. I don't, have you read this story, and that's kind of, this is what you're thinking? They see Jesus, he, he gets in the boat, and it's like this. But Scripture doesn't say that. I mean, it's true that that could have happened. It's happened before, where they said, even the winds and the waves obey him. But what John says is Jesus himself came to them. He identified himself as I am. It is I. And they were glad. They desired to take him into the boat. And with that, the story within the story is immediately over. They are at their desired haven. What is it? The presence of Jesus. That's our desired destination as well. It's not some shoreline. It's not some getting across the... It's with Jesus, wherever we are. It says, if Jesus is saying, I have shown you that in the dark, in the storm, I will not let anything separate you from me, and I will walk on the water to be with you, and when you take me into your boat with joy, we will, aris- we will arrive at our desired haven. I don't just make the wind stop. I get into your boat. Sometimes when Jesus reveals his glory to us in the storm, we're immediately delivered from the circumstances in our life, sometimes. But I would say more often than not, deliverance isn't immediate and we have to continue to go through the storm. But when Jesus is with us, when we desire and want and are glad to let him into our life in the middle of this storm, there is a tranquility and an expectant hope that carries us through the turbulent waters to our destination. And what is that destination? What is our destination here in the things that we're going through? It is Christ's likeness. It is Christ's presence in our life. Not only did he bring them through the chaos of the storm, but there was a transformative work in the disciples in the middle of the storm. And we see this evidence later on in this chapter. In John chapter 6, when Jesus had preached that infamous message that made everybody walk away about drinking his blood and eating his flesh, and then he turns to his disciples and he says, are you going to walk away too? And because of what they had been through, here was Peter's response. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed, and we have come to know, what did he say? That you are the Holy One of God. You're the Holy One. You're the one that we saw walking on the water in the storm because they saw his glory in the storm, because they saw God, they saw Jesus in a way that none of those other people that left had seen him. They saw him this way, and we can't help that we've been changed and we respond like Peter, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You are the Holy One of God. You are the water-walking Savior, Lord over all. We all face storms. 
because we're still living in a world that experiences the effects of sin. None of us are promised a storm-free life. But we can have confidence that Jesus will carry us through the storm while transforming us in the storm if we are glad, desire, want to allow him into our life. And when we have this confidence, there's nothing that will separate us from him. And you know how you have this confidence? You have this confidence because of the cross. Because Jesus went through the cosmic storm, chaos, if you will, that's the other word for what's going on, of sin and death for us. And when he rose from the dead, proved that he had defeated that storm once and for all, then we can have the confidence to know that he will never abandon us to any storm we face because he didn't abandon us in the storm of the centuries. And when he returns, the Lord over the storm will bring an end to all the storms as he brings the full redemption to his entire creation, which includes those of us who belong to him. I don't know what you're going through in your life, but I do know this, that if you will look up and you will look for Jesus, he is there with you. And you may not have all the winds and the waves stilled at that moment. You may not immediately get transformed over to the shore, but you will be transformed in the middle of the storm and you will have joy even in the middle of the storm, just like a little child not noticing all the things that are going on around in the storm when they're with their parents. You will be the same when Jesus is with you and you're in his presence, though the storms may buffet as some things say. You will be calm. You will be at peace. You will have joy because your Savior is with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, with every head bowed and every eye closed, we come to you, Lord of creation, Lord over the storm. And even as we're going to sing here in just a moment, you're the one who refines us. Whether it's a fire, whether it's a storm, Whatever it is, whatever the metaphor, whatever the analogy, whatever the situation, Lord, we see it all throughout your scripture. But today, in this particular passage, we see you, Jesus, revealed as the Son of God, the Lord over all creation. Yes, the Lord over the wind and the waves and the Lord over every storm. And I want you to know, my friends, he is the Lord over the storms in your life. You have been listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We hope God met you right where you're at today. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you're listening from and visit infocuschurch.org for more on all that's going on in the life of our church.